It's uh, my distinct pleasure to introduce the next speaker, uh, Mr. Sandy Jaitley, um, an investment banker from Lebanon. <laughs> Sorry, Sandy. It just came out. Fund manager. It just came out. You know, nothing for Jordan intended. You know, and and in in, in, in introducing Sandy. Um, I'd like to say that he and the professor share a special language, which is mathematics. Um, it has been said that mathematics is a universal language. I think it's a lie. If it is a universal language, it's spoken better by some than by others. And I think the professor and Sandy speak it quite well with each other. And um, he has um, been very, very active in uh, investigating the basis and doing a lot of research with the professor. And we have. Uh, a lot. To, we're going to gain a lot from the um, continued work between these two people, and uh, it's almost—it's—it's um, uh, it's fate. It's this wonderful fate at its best. It reminds me of the time when uh, the professor was speaking uh, at the University of Chicago, and Martha and I went, and we were shocked that he was being asked to speak at the university. It's like Martin Luther going to the Vatican. <laughs> and, and we went back there to listen to the address. We didn't want to miss it, you know, or at least to protect him. You know. <laughs> and the day before he was going to give his talk, it was going to be highly critical of Milton Friedman. Milton Friedman passed away. And, and uh, the professor delivered a talk that was kindly just touched on it, not critical of Friedman, but, you know, talked about some of the broad issues. And I told him, I said, this is the finger of God. You know, the transition. This is the finger of God. Milton's time is gone, your time is coming. And in that same way, in introducing Sandeep, at the break, Michael shared with uh, me a message that he just received from Gata, that of the planned uh, sale of 400 tons of IMF gold, India is picking up 200 of the tons. <laughs> and on that note, I would like to introduce Mr. Thanks very much, Daryl. Um, I'm going to start with the conclusion of, of, of what this presentation will be about. And don't shoot me. Um, now, we all know that India is pretty active in the gold market. And this presentation is basically going to show just how active they are in the gold market. So, this is the conclusion. India dominates the gold market from an international perspective. This we pretty much might be in agreement with. Now, this is a result of her intrinsic adoration of gold that goes back beyond time. And it's also a function of her not producing any gold of her own. Countless years of gold accumulation place India in a unique position of being able to fund her people's demand from her internal holdings without necessarily, without necessarily resorting to the international market. This is what I aim to show. As she occupies the largest position by far in the international markets and produces no gold of her own, this could have a devastating effect on the gold price should India withdraw from the bid. Not forever, but longer than people think. So don't shoot me. <laughs> now, 
Let's go back a bit and discuss, before we go into the presentation, why India loves gold so much. So in ancient times, gold was not the only metal, obviously. We had copper, iron, nickel, lead, they were all valuable. What made gold so valuable, whatever value is, that its accumulation went many, many, many magnitudes beyond what was actually required for whatever little industrial use it had. Now this is referring to gold's stock to flow ratio, which others have commented on, really had a very good chart on it. What made gold so special that it was 80 times, it, 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 at the current time it's 80 times annual production, primary production. We all know copper, copper is a very useful metal, we don't know about its potential applications yet. It could be used to travel to the stars. You know, we have no idea about its potential uses. But nevertheless, nevertheless, after thousands of years of mining copper, the stock of copper relative to its flow is still in fractions. It turns out that all metals, apart from gold and silver, share this characteristic. Gold and silver are unique in that respect. So, one of the characteristics of money, which we have talked about, is that it has the propensity for its marginal utility to decline the least. And nature didn't want to leave any doubt as to which commodity we should use. You know, it's not like Gold is marginally different from copper or marginally different from the other metals. It sticks out like a huge sore thumb. And silver does as well. So there's no ambiguity there. But why was it this particular substance, gold, why was it this particular substance? For that we have to turn to Sanskrit literature. And Sanskrit literature is unarguably the oldest literature of any Indo-European language. And arguably, it's the first reflection that we have of human thought today. It was our father, Menga, who first commented that value does not lie outside of the consciousness of men. And in the case of gold, it was these particular Indian men who first gave it value. Value in temporal and celestial importance that no other civilization, past or present, has ever quite managed. All other civilizations place gold's temporal value far above its celestial, and it's no coincidence that they have all collapsed and bitten the dust. <laughs> Apart from India, India and the Indians still sing the same Sanskrit songs that they did five, six, seven thousand years ago, and nothing much has changed since. Gold has been in the Indian psyche for as long as there has been an Indian psyche. The universe, according to Vedic mythology, was created out of a cosmic egg of gold, and that in Sanskrit is called Hiranyagarbha. And from this golden egg sprang forth the seven dimensions, or loka, in Sanskrit, and loka is cognate with the Latin locus, the place. 
they say the process of creation and subsequent destruction of our universe has happened for countless trillions of years. And no sacred ceremony would be complete without a microscopic amount of gold. So that's an interesting myth. Does anyone know how gold was created? No, I didn't think so. Um, <laughs> Sorry? Wasn't it one of Vardy's teardrops? Uh, well, that... <laughs> I'm talking about the physical, actual physical... <laughs> not the metaphor, not the metaphor. It turns out, and this is only, this is only recently discovered, or, or, well, when I say recently, it was in the 80s. Um, supernovae nucleosynthesis is the process by which the metallic elements are thought to have been created. So this is the sort of fusion type process that you have in stellar systems. Um, and we all learnt about this kind of thing in school. <laughs> <laughs> but, but regular fusion processes can only account for the creation of elements up to Fe56. So that's iron 56. The mechanism involved in the creation of elements higher than Fe56 most likely involved many supernovae, not just one, and possibly over vast periods of time. It's the only way to account for the relative abundance of the heavy metals in the Earth's crust. So it doesn't sound too dissimilar to what they were saying after all. So, a bit about India and the history of gold throughout the ages. So, I hope I've given the impression that India is gold and gold is India. And that has caused many people throughout history problems. A sink for gold from whence it will not return. <laughs> Western civilization's desire and consumption practices are not new to the 20th century. They've been ingrained in the consciousness for centuries. There was much discomfort with the realisation that if you wanted something from India, you had to pay in bullion, and bullion alone. Comment from Pliny. India, China and the Arabian Peninsula take 100 million sesterces from our empire per annum. That's a conservative estimate. That is what our luxuries of women cost us. <laughs> these imports is intended for sacrifices to the gods or the spirits of the dead, not many. So, as we all know, Rome started to debase the denarius, um, and it was a very rapid process. And India was the first country to basically refuse the denarius in payment. And they only wanted the aureus in payment. The aureus was the gold coin of the Roman Empire. Well, guess what? They started to debase that, too. And uh, they refused that. No Roman trade with India after the 4th century and the beginning of the Dark Ages. Cause and effect is debatable, but it's my contention that when you play around with the money, civilization collapses, not the other way around. So 15 centuries or so later, Baron de Montesquieu, now, he was like a Henry Kissinger-type character. No real mandate, but sort of in the, in the background. Every nation that ever traded to the Indies has constantly carried bullion. 
and brought merchandises in return. Commerce of the Romans to the Indies was very considerable. This commerce was carried out, on, carried out entirely with bullion. They want therefore nothing but our bullion to serve as the medium of value, and for this they give us merchandises in return. <laughs> that bullion was always carried to the Indies, and never any brought from thence. <coughs> so they were complaining 15 centuries later in a similar vein to Pliny. So well into the late 19th century, this was the problem. You know, in India's continual trade services and refusal to accept anything apart from bullion caused problems. Indian demand for gold has a deflationary effect on global liquidity, commented Bank of England Governor Montague Norman in the 1940s. Strangely, the real, real problems only started to coincide with the philosophy of the monetization of credits other than bills of trade. Now, this was actually a reflection of the degradation from the discount house to the acceptance house to the central bank. And one of the consequences of that was that the world's oldest trading partner was not playing along. So, just very briefly, the Bank of England was in cahoots with the government, but her bread and butter was actually earned by being a discount house. Now, a discount house is a house that makes a market in bills of exchange. As Rudy commented, when you start messing around with the composition of your assets and start shoving in things like mortgages and government bonds, it might seem okay at first, but the liquidity profile of those is completely different. And the note issue that's a consequence of those assets is consequently questionable. So, considering this rich and varied history, has India forgotten her ancient legacy? No, she certainly hasn't. Now, there's a bit, bit of a debate as to how much gold has actually been mined since the beginning of, beginning of uh, history. 160,000 tons has been come up with. At a rough guesstimate, India's people own between 35 to 40,000 tons of that. Probably a lot more. And India is unique in that sense because she, is hard, she produces hardly any gold herself, yet is by far the largest purchaser, by definition, on the open market. But just how much of the open market can be accounted for by India's purchases? So this is where we have to start tackling the data. And um, this, is, uh, this is from uh, World Gold Council. So this is primary production in selected countries after 2008. You can see that, uh, where is China? China's gone from, from being sort of, wherever it is, fifth, fourth, to number one last year. South Africa is, the yellow one, a steady decline. So it's quite easy to see that China is dominating the primary production in gold. But is that an important figure? I mean the primary production of gold? Not really. Not really. The more important figure to look at is the net import figure 
into each country because the market for gold is an international market and it clears in London. And bids and offers are from all over the world. That's the way that we should consider the price of gold. Bids and offers from different countries. So, this is where we get a bit more technical, but bear with me. Okay. So this is, this is an identity. In any country, the demand, and they call it demand in, in World Gold Council, but it's not demand, it was the Met demand. You know, I demand gold right now, but I'm only willing to pay $600 for it. Okay? So it's Met demand. Met demand minus internal production equals net imports plus internal destocking. Now, by internal destocking, I mean the sale of, of gold that's already within national borders, owned by the people. So, just as a check, when you add it all up, you get, for the whole world, total met demand minus total production equals zero plus total destocking. And that makes sense. So, is it really important to look at net imports? Well, you know, they all add up to zero, obviously, if you consider adding it up across all countries. Yes, they do all uh, add up to zero, but the important point is how you add up to zero, not the fact that you do add up to zero. <coughs> so, let's move on to the next. That's a visual representation of any country in the previous. In the, if, um, if, if something's not clear, please do put up your hand and say, and, and ask me what I'm talking about. As long as it's related to what I'm saying. Um, so this is for um, any country. The stock at time t, production at time t, net exports at time t, gives the stock at time t plus one. And you add it all together, these all cancel out, and you get the identity that we had before. So actual cleared values for net imports within a particular country are hard to obtain. I called up the uh, Goldfield service and I said I would like to know uh, the net imports by country for gold. And they emailed back and said, which countries? And I gave them the list of the major countries that I was interested in. They said, we don't release that data, Mr. Jamie. Um, it's commercially sensitive. So I thought, okay, fine. I'm not going to get very far, very far with this. But there is a very, very, very courageous institution out there called the Bombay Bullion Association. And they keep sufficiently accurate records of imports of gold into India. And they're unique in that respect. Right, let's move to the next slide. So, Because we can't actually get the figure by country for net imports apart from India, we have to make some guesstimates here. Now, India here 
you can see it's pretty dominant in terms of cross-border flows. But you're probably thinking, you know, they're quite, they're quite on, you know, China's catching up here. But this is implied Chinese imports and de-hoarding, internal de-hoarding. The actual net imports into China will only be a fraction of the bar that you see here. Not, 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 not a small fraction, but it will not be the size of the bar that you see here for want of actually getting the actual figure for net Chinese imports. So India is actually much more dominant than it looks there, even though that's pretty dominant to begin with. So we have to make a few assumptions. Um, it's assumed that the largest producers of gold in the world will, on the whole, be net exporters of gold. And I think Brock would have sort of said something similar with regards to Australia. So we just adjust it slightly. Okay. Because obviously some of the you know, Australian production, South African production is used internally. So we cut it off slightly. I don't know how much, so it's not really relevant. Okay. Um, to get to get that picture there. Is is that clear? You know, I'm just trying to get a schematic of how you get to a, a representation of net imports by country, which is not released, it's not publicly available data. So it can be seen quite easily that, that India dominates, followed by China. But what's the big difference between India and China? Well, China's the world's largest gold producer, but India isn't. You know, she doesn't produce any gold at all. Is it because it doesn't have any? No, probably because she mined it many, many. <laughs> you know, you know what these Maharajas are like. <laughs> so it's 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 the dynamic of this huge inventory of gold, which is again unique to India, that can throw potential googly into the world market price. India can turn from being a sink into gold, a sink for gold to not being a sink for gold, and heaven forbid she, she, she could actually be a source for gold, but I'm not, I'm not actually saying that is likely to happen at the moment. So I mentioned earlier that how you add up to zero is more important than the fact that you do add up to zero. So the, the, these series of graphs here are meant to represent different scenarios for uh, net imports. This is, this is a two-country economy, a two-country world, um, and you can see there that that's sort of the kind of thing I'm trying to describe there. One country produces and, and sells that much gold, and another country consumes that much gold, and they all add up to zero. Now, you increase the number of countries, and what you end up with is this kind of, this kind of, Graph. India, China, and all the rest. The gold market isn't like this, with countries importing similar amounts and exporting similar amounts. 
this is a very stable system. That is not. That is not stable. And it's all India's fault. So, I'm not going to delve into the calculus of the stability here, but it should be obvious what I'm trying to depict. Okay? Now, these people would obviously be on the London bid, and these people would be on the London offer. And as everyone knows, there is no such thing as the price of gold. It always depends upon what you want to do, whether it's buy or sell, hence the spread. So, very interesting. You know, we, uh, you know, what more is there to say? A little bit more, a little bit more. You know, India doesn't produce any gold of her own, and we all know that she loves it. You know, so that's not likely to change anytime soon. That's what we're all thinking. So that situation is likely to remain. Well, no, it might not. It might not. So this is Indian total met demand here. And we can see exactly the composition of how it was met. So you can see that the actual Indian met demand hasn't actually changed that much since 2005. Um, it's been more or less you know, 600 tons. But look at the structure of how it's being met. Indian imports going down, <coughs> scrap sales going up. <coughs> now, this is the worrying point if you're long and you care about the dollar price of gold. Soon, total Indian met demand might only need to fall slightly and it can be fully, fully satisfied by the churning of her own local holdings. 400 tonnes per annum of her demand is satisfied by her own, her own inventory. No other country is like that. No other country at all. So, it could happen. Is it likely to happen? I don't know. You know. But the point is, though, that it's pretty unstable as far as net imports are concerned. Because, and I'll repeat it again, total demand only needs to fall slightly, and the way that it is being met will mean that the international bid from India could just drop away. And she is still satisfied all of her people's requirements, just from the churning of her own <coughs> local holdings. Mm. So this deviation is unique to India. So now I come to the final part of the presentation, which is the monsoon. But, uh, um, is this a reflection on price? It is. You're absolutely right. Indians, and I remember the articles in 1998, where they mentioned that Indian housewives were buying gold by the truckloads. And didn't they look stupid, you know, seeing as the gold price was in a permanent bear market? You know, let those. Let, 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 let those Indians buy that gold. What, what the hell do they know? You know. <laughs> um, they buy low and they don't buy high. 
but the mere fact that they don't buy high means that the bid could be withdrawn from the international market. It's not a case of her actually selling gold, but of the bid dropping away. And if the bid drops away in any market, the offer will soon follow it. So I don't know whether people know about this year's monsoon, but it's actually been the worst in 38 years. Rainfall's 25% below, below the average. Agriculture is a very, very substantial part of the economy. The Indian economy services around 50% of it, and the remainder is split three-fifths agriculture, two-fifths industry, more or less. And the substantial part of the irrigation of the whole sector is achieved during the monsoon period. Now, there are arguments to say, well, after six, seven thousand years of civilization, why they have been relying on perennial rains? That's the way they are, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know. Um, but one of the main beneficiaries of a bountiful harvest any year is the gold price. It is gold bullion, because the agricultural classes own a substantial part of the domestic gold holding and are the marginal buyers in the domestic market. So, the Indian agricultural classes are marginal buyers in the Indian market, and the Indian market itself provides the marginal bid in the international gold market. So you can see why the monsoon can turn into a butterfly and cause a storm somewhere in London. So whilst the consequences of a weak monsoon are not immediate, they could be very far-reaching given enough time. Quite a shock to the system. So. I return back to my conclusion. India dominates the gold market from an international perspective. This is a result of her intrinsic adoration of gold. Also, it's a function of her not producing any gold of her own. Countless years of gold accumulation place her in a position to allow her to do things like this and fund her internal demand from the churning of her own holdings. Now, as I've just said, if the marginal bid goes away, the price will fall. And it's not going to fall forever because they will be buying low when everyone else is selling, as they seem to be doing at the Perth Mint when the price, when the price falls. You know. So my main message here is caution in the gold market if you care about the dollar price of gold. <laughs> okay, which you shouldn't, by the way. You should care about how many ounces of gold you actually own. Okay, be very worried because if India withdraws from the bid, she is the bid. Everyone, no matter how grand they think they are in the gold market, are marginal compared to her. Very, very marginal. And no one could replace India if India's bid went away. China doesn't need to, to bid on the international market because she, she produces most of her gold. The main message here is caution. Caution for anyone that's getting excited about potential breakouts. Any questions? Wasn't somebody influential in China just saying recently that China wanted to, as a country, wanted to uh, buy up a lot more gold but didn't want to influence, didn't want to buy so much that they drove the price up too much. So 
if, um, if the price of gold goes down, won't that, won't that just be taken up by China, just quietly buying up on the cheap? If the price of gold goes down, it won't only be taken up by them, but India would return. Um, so yes, yes, that's true. Um, so why are we worried? We're worried because the bid at the moment, and always has been, India. You know, it's, it's part of the way that a price is formed is by the bid, as well as the offer, obviously. And India is the bid, you know. That's, that's the point I'm trying to make. She doesn't actually need to sell gold for the price to go down. She just needs to withdraw from the bid. And the likelihood of her withdrawing from the bid depends upon how much gold she has in her borders anyway. And because she's unique in that respect of having, you know, 30, 40, whatever thousand tons of gold within her borders, that's why we should be worried. China is not in that position. She doesn't have that much. Her people don't have that much gold yet. And it's only two questions. How do we know what's the verification of the 40,000 tons, and how many times are these uh, hoarders going to sell the same gold? That is rough estimate from sort of Bombay Bullion Association. No one knows how much gold India has. You know, um, all we can say is that of that 160,000 tons, that actually began when primary records of gold production get, uh, began. I don't know when that was, but I'm pretty sure that Indian and Chinese civilization predate when those records began, and they already had a lot of gold at that point anyway. You know. Um, can you explain the monthly seasons of the monsoon and when the harvest is supposed to be coming through? I can't. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm not an agricultural expert. <laughs> well, monsoon ends in October, in October time, August time. So I imagine that the harvest would have already come in by now, you know. No, it'll be dated by... For example, a wheat crop's going to take you know, uh, 16 weeks. I mean, so 16 weeks from... The end of the monsoon? Yes. Something like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is around August, September, October time, I think. Uh, monsoon normally finishes around that time. Wouldn't it take a lot longer for the harvest to come in and the strength of the harvest be recognised? Let's well, it's not really what, what the harvest actually came in at, it's no, the amount of disposable income. Right. I'm talking about the recognition of yeah. that fact. So, yeah. the recognition of the fact that the harvest is going to Ah, oh, right, 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 right. I don't know whether that has actually happened yet or not. You know, I don't think it has. Well, I thought you were the guru. I'm a guru. <laughs> Agriculture. Yeah. Okay. But to, 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 honestly, it's not really relevant. The point is that they will have much less in volume than they did have, and their disposable income will go down proportionately. You know, that's. I'm not con concerned about the nitty gritty of how they actually ship their wheat to the markets and you know get their money. You know, but that's all I'm saying. I was thinking about the timing as opposed to where we are in our current yeah. three-month time frame. That's all. I, I, I don't. I don't know. So major part of the imports around the wedding season, which is normally the wildly that period of time, but is that like in other words it's not the lack of funds available by gold not going to shut until the next year? Um, it could do. I don't think there is actually much seasonality in net imports. Okay. No, not in net imports. In total demand there might be. Okay. But in net imports there's not. 
I have actually got quarterly breakdowns of net imports, but you can get them yourself, you know, if you go to the Bombay Bullion Association website. Great presentation. Thank you. Fantastic. Uh, I'd like to uh, want to know more about the Sanskrit relationship with the growth adoration. Uh, but um, I think the bid may change. Right. You know, the bid has mm -hmm. been India. You're quite correct. Mm -hmm. But there's, again, we don't know that number exactly, but maybe 70, 75 trillion dollars in investment funds around the world. For sure. Let's hope they do. 400 tons is only, if my calculation is correct, 12 billion dollars. Mm. Mm -hmm. So if the investment funds decided to buy the metal mm. and store it and hoard it instead of buying paper versions, yep. then yep. it could quickly be replaced. Oh yeah, they could. They could. I'm pretty sure that could happen. But I would imagine that investment funds would have already bought their gold, you know. Um, whether they replace it in, in, in that size, I don't know, you know. The opportunity is there, you know. If you look at total money market funds, it could quite easily replace India, you know. But what's the likelihood of that happening? That's what we have to say. Nathan? Uh, Cindy, I'm not a professional trader. I'm trying hmm. to look at this through a trader's eyes, hmm. I assume that's sort of the view of Mm. The question I have about that, uh, yeah. that graph is that already some of India's bid is melting away. Yes. And what you're talking about is the significance of when Alaska melts away. Mm. Are you saying that that's analogous to a uh, bid under an individual stock and it appears that there's plenty there and all of a sudden people look at the market depth and there's nothing there? Exactly. Exactly. That's what I mean by bifurcation point. Okay, so yeah. the fact that it's already part of the pain. You know, it's already there. Yes. Exactly. You know, it it could be. You know, people could just see slow erosion, and think, okay, you know, the the market can deal with that. But the point is, it could be slow erosion, and then suddenly nothing. You know, exactly that point. Yeah. Uh, do you draw any analogy or do any analysis to the the um, difference between? India's historical love for gold in being the driver of the bid mm. and our current financial situation, which let's just completely forget about India's mm. thing and the concern that exists that says that, that, that the, 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 the house of cards of our financial system mm. perhaps dwarfs the bid that India has historically uh, I'm not saying that's the case. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, mm -hmm. you, uh, is there some consideration to the enormity of the historical bid for gold for India mm -hmm. versus the enormity of our financial debacle, yeah, yeah, particularly yeah. in the U.S. and Great Britain? I would say that if you had a financial debacle, that would mean that your assets have been wiped out. So you're, no, you're in no position to be bidding on the gold market. You know that would be. You know, are you, are you trying to say that it could replace the Indian bid if? Yeah, I'm, trying to, I'm basically saying that perhaps the, the financial debacle that, mm. that we, many of us believe that the that, that world powers are currently in mm. is completely unrelated to India's or, or what is the relationship between the concern that exists mm. there about paper money meaning nothing mm, mm, mm. 
when you really get right down to it and the amount of times it's been leveraged based on nothing yeah. versus India's historic dominance of the bid for the physical metal? I don't actually think it's a reflection of India's um, paranoia about paper money. It's, it's more deep-rooted than that. You know, it's, that's, that's a, a Western preoccupation. You know, there, there's never, there, there, there have never been any crises in the rupee. Or the, well, there have when, when the West have been fiddling around with the, the gold-silver standard you know, during the Great Depression. But I don't think that there is any direct sort of relationship that you can sort of draw. So I'm, I think what it is is what's the possibility of an offset about this enormous yeah. with the concern that has yet to be realized amongst Western nations yeah. that what we put our faith in is crap? It could come over. I mean, that could exactly happen. But the point is, though, that it, it would have to be cause and effect. I mean, if you thought, as a sort of average Western investor, right, you know, there's a financial crisis, I want to, it's just happened, and I want to swap out of my assets into gold, you'd find that you don't have any assets, you know, because you're, you're part of the financial crisis, you know. You own US stocks, you own US banks, British banks, Swiss banks, whatever, you know. You're not in a position to change yourself, you know. It might be different if things sort of, you know, as you're saying, right now, it might happen, but I just can't see it happening. You know, it's a case of expectation. As Rudy said, you can lead a horse to water, you know, <laughs> but you can't make it drink. But if it's very thirsty, it might. You know, I don't know. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, the world GDP is about fifty trillion dollars a year. Total value of about hundred sixty thousand tons of gold is about two to three trillion dollars. Total market capitalization of all the gold mining companies in the world about four or five years ago was less than McDonald's. If the superannuation funds around the world only put a very small fraction of their wealth into, into super into gold, it will readily exceed the two trillion dollars of the value of gold that's already there. So what I'm saying is, when the price of gold starts taking off because of Western investment demand, I'm afraid it will completely outbid the Indians. Hmm. And what we're waiting for as investors is not for the Indians to gradually push the price of gold up, which they've been doing quite well for the last 10 years. We're waiting for investment, Western investment demand to take over from Indian physical demand and push the price of gold up into the sort of several thousand dollar range. And it's easily got the potential, given the size of the world economy and given the current value of the total above ground stock of gold. The point I think Megan said, if we've got a situation where we're having reduced production and increased demand, we've got this gap being made up by central bank sales and scrap metal and whatever. If I've been hearing what central banks are now central, uh, are actually buyers. So who's making up that? Could it be that that would take over from Western investment with the Indian bid? Well, I actually think the amount of gold is a lot higher than 160,000 tonnes. You oh, know, that's, yeah. that's, you know, it's a lot higher than that, you know. Um, Talk about the yearly demand versus supply. Yeah. The, the gap that's growing there yeah. central bank yeah. selling into it. Yeah. Really? And Sandy, what are the units on the vertical? That's in tons. Tons, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought it might be hundreds of, or millions of ounces. No, no, so that means the 200 tons that India just bought is quite significant. Indian Central Bank just bought, not her people. Well, I mean, what does that mean then? This is, this is Indian people demand. Well, it's people. Indian Bank. 
Well, they don't. <laughs> they've been at 300 tons for bloody ages. You know, they they don't they haven't demanded gold until today, basically, when we found out about it. You know, this is all private demand, not uh, n nothing to do with uh, the central bank. Yeah. Can, can, can I just say, I mean, I find it very interesting, and not that I've ever really focused too much on our refinery operations and when we did partnerships, you know, lost direct controls, more now a standalone entity. But I do know that um, because we're the primary channel into India because of our proximity, um, that it can come and go very, very quickly. They're very price sensitive. They can adjust to prices, but, but I think what Sandeep in terms of time frame is saying is that when they drop the bid, it can happen very quickly. You know, that our demand can drop and, and all that Australian gold starts getting shipped into London. And then there are times when Indian demand returns and they'll buy everything that we've got weeks and weeks out if they could. You know, so it can move very, very quickly. But I think that in the long run, the argument about the financial weight of money trying to come into gold would outweigh that. And Sam's sure. points, maybe on the sort of shorter time frame, it could just drop, the price will reflect that. But yeah, over the long run, this weight of money coming out of financials and into real assets will counteract it. Yeah, we yeah. still have that whipsaw. I'm just on that. Um, the years Indian rupee in Australia held was $25, now it's up to 43 I think 44 So the Indian currency is obviously very weak. No, the Aussie dollar is very strong. Well, I. Okay. <laughs> so that, what I'm saying is the Indian currency has been getting weak against the US dollar too, as well. So what I'm saying is. Well, the Indians get nervous about their currency and say, okay, let's put it in something like China, fix assets or something like that, but it's still making it attractive. But, but, it, but they don't have, they don't use repair, they really use currency. They've got 30,000 tons, they're really operating on gold money yeah, already. Yeah, pretty much. I can't well, see them Yeah, but the private people pay for the repair, so yeah. that's what the drives the business. The only thing they care about is local food prices. You know, if, if they are, are, are escalating in repeat terms, and it might cause them, you know, to get worried about the the the, the validity of the note issue or whatever. But you know, I, we would have seen it by now. You know, I don't. Does the does the common man in India or person in India only buy and hang on to it, and it becomes a a legacy for generations? The common man, yes, does not sell it. It, it doesn't really dire thing yes. to get rid of gold. Yeah, it doesn't really sell it. No, no. Have you taken account of peak doll? We've probably passed peak doll production in about 2000. Yeah. Um, what, how fast is that going to bear in on the And uh, how big yeah. um, Indian, um, yeah. how much, how much of, uh, world production will be taken up by India in 10 years' time, say? Yeah. I mean, I think the thing about peak gold is it would be worried if. I would be worried if, if, if primary production was the only the way that demand was met, but it's not. You know, two and a half thousand tons of primary production plus another one and a half thousand tons of scrap recycling is how you meet the demand. You know, so if you look at, for example, scrap supply as a percentage of total supply for gold, it's already very, very high as it is for silver. It's only about 15% for copper. So it would be more valid for something like copper as an entity than it would be for gold primary production. I think. I think. Yeah. Can you see the attitude to gold among the 
their rights of eating the middle class. Changing as a result of the influence of their brothers and sisters in the diaspora. Um, they could, and you certainly do see, you know, plasma TVs being bought and, you know, whatnot. But I honestly don't think it will change. You know, part of the thing about their literature says that you must be in gold. You know, you have to own gold. And there are, there are reasons which go beyond protecting yourself from uh, currency debasement, you know. There are, there are special reasons that it's gold, and you, you know, it's a substance regardless of all of its uses for money and blah, blah, blah. There is a reason why gold has to be bought. And that psyche will not change. You know, it, will, it won't change. If it changes, then it will be the end of you know, Vedic thought and Vedic philosophy. Vedic is ancient Indian, by the way. So I, it could, but I, I doubt it. I, I seriously don't think. You're saying that uh, Indian demand is being met by internal recycling. Mm. What price is that? Um, I don't know what price they, they clear their... Uh, the question is how low does it go before it triggers demand? Oh, right, 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 right. I don't know. <laughs> it's not an observable, it's not a, it's not a calculable, um, it's not a calculable, you know. I'll ask a few of my uncles, you know, when would they start buying, but, um, you know, who's to know, who's to know. But, rest assured, when the rest of the market is panicking for whatever reason, they will be there buying, you know, really. Uh, Sandeep, you said the average Indian will not sell gold. Mm. So who's selling that? No, the average common man. Common man. Yeah, so the agricultural classes, you know, the very high, the very high rollers and sort of upper middle classes, you know, they're the ones who they're supply, ones. Who supply that, that, that stuff, you know. They have lots of it, so they can sell some of it. Exactly. The yeah, you know, they, they, they don't like the last chain they bought, or, you know, they don't like the last necklace or whatever. I've got a hundred others, you know, let's get rid of that one, okay. you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably a reflection of expanding middle class in India, isn't it? Well, yes, exactly. Exactly. You know, this, this could represent, you know, sort of the transfer of, you know, wealth from the, uh, from the, from the high, high, high end to the low end, you know, keeping stability in society, you know. Yeah, I don't know, that's a speculation. Yeah. Any more questions? How does India pay for the gold? Um, I think in... in Dollars. Exports? Exports, yes. No, the reason... Yeah. What are the main items in the export? In the um, it's mainly agriculture, but you've got services now. I mean, if, yeah, if you talk about sort of through history, it's always been luxury, sort of salt, pepper, you know, sugar, silk, cardamom, all of these things that, you know, we take for granted now in the West, but only really had their primary source in India. And so they've always managed to make sure that there is something that the West wants. <laughs> is gold ownership and trading in gold completely uh, free of government control? It is, it is. You walk it has in, been always? Always. You walk into, you know, I, I, was, in, I was there, when was it? Uh, in March. Um, any jewellery shop will give you a two-way quote. Um, even is the case that, you know, one jewellery shop might give you a two-way quote which allows you to make a good arbitrage by selling to the shop across the road, you know. So they always give two-way quotes whenever you walk into any jewellery shop. And then why is, uh, is it that uh, there's a lot of uh, smuggling? Dubai, in, yeah. In gold? Well, 
<laughs> I don't know. It's completely legal. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know why there is still... I don't actually know whether there, there is a lot of smuggling anymore. I mean, that was a sort of pre-90s, yeah. a pre-90s thing before the market was liberalised, you know. Um, but Goldfinger was smuggling gold into uh, into India just before he came up with his other idea. Yeah, I think it's come down. Yeah. It was import duties. Yeah. Oh, there is a well, then it's not completely free. Yeah, no. It, from an international perspective, no, it's not completely free. Domestically, you know, there's no hindrance. No internal. Yes, no hindrance at all. No hindrance at all. Phil. Current political situation in, in Pakistan mm. is that going to have any effect on this market? Uh, not on this market, it, it, on the Pakistani it, market, it might. But well, um, yeah. I can't. I, unless there's a nuclear war, which I'm not ruling out. I'm not forecasting that either. Um, I'm not ruling that out. Yes, you know. If the facts change, I change my mind. <laughs> Who said that? Mr. Keynes, I think, said that. <laughs> he wasn't always an idiot. <laughs> if the story that just, just came out today, that India is buying mm. half of um, the IMF mm. sale, is true, uh, would you care to speculate as to why? Well, yes, she only had 300 tons to begin with. So to go from 300 to 500, still as a percentage of total foreign exchange reserves, as it were, is still minute. You know, so it's probably just a step in the direction, just like China, yeah. that she wants to, to go in. But I find it hard to believe, because if India is so price sensitive, and China is so, have declared so up, outspokenly that they want to buy it. Yeah, the people are price sensitive in India, not the central bank. Personally, I think them buying 200 tons of gold at 10.45 is, is very, is very, is very, is probably more reflective of the top than a bottom, really, you know. But the central bank, <laughs> the central bank is different from the people, Louis. That's what I mean, you know. They're, they're tiny. I fully, fully appreciate that, yeah. but I, I just find it astonishing that yeah. India would be the highest bidder. Yeah. I, I presume that's that's what happened, or IMF is, well, they are not, but you know, why would they sell half of that foreign funds to the lowest bidder? Uh, well, I, I imagine they weren't the lowest bidder there. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, why you know. would they need gold so much now? Then, anyway, so I don't, maybe they sold futures against it. I don't. You mentioned that India always finds something to sell to the West. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm not sure, really sure the West really wants those call centres. But... <laughs> no comment. <laughs> they should come to England for some tuition. <laughs> Any more questions? Okay. Well, thanks very much. Thank you.